0: Welcome to Work Everywhere, a podcast brought to you by Allware, the company that equips teams with everything they need to work from anywhere. I'm your host, Ben Kessler, Chief Growth Officer, and my co-host today is Veronica Kellerman, Content Marketing Lead. Today we're joined by Tori Armendaris, the Head of People Operations at ReadMe. Throughout her time at fast-growing companies like Verifiable, Trainual, and Coplex, Tori has become well versed in all things startup people ops and has firsthand built the lean, scalable processes that help companies grow. She has also become passionate about the concept of human centered offboarding and believes that while offboarding is difficult on both sides, there are ways we can work together to make it less so. Our conversation today centers around just that what companies are getting wrong about offboarding. How today's offboarding culture negatively impacts both employees and the HR teams on the other side, and what companies should be doing to get offboarding right.
1: Hello, Tori. Thank you so much for coming on. We're so excited to have you on our podcast. Ben and I obviously know you pretty well, but for our listeners who might not know you, do you mind just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I
2: would love nothing more. Hi, I'm Tori Armendariz, pronouns are she, her. I am currently the head of people operations at a startup called ReadMe. I've been in people operations for a few years now in a variety of roles, all in startups. I'm really passionate about the startup space and building scalable systems that are really centered around people and humans. And that's why I'm in the role that I'm in. That's why I do what I do. It's my main passion in this world and just the best job that I could ever have.
1: Amazing. Well, Ben and I, I think obviously relate to that as people who are also in the startup space, but what we are a little bit admittedly new to, I think, is like the HR space. So we're really excited to talk to you a little bit about that. Could you talk in some more detail about what your current role now looks like and maybe a couple of your previous roles that brought you here?
2: Yeah, I would love to. So my current role, startup roles are just all a little bit of everything. So my current role is a little bit of compliance and administration work and getting set up in new states for the first time and hiring and the whole talent acquisition side. And then what I call the feels. So there's like the facts and the feels, and the feels are how to make people feel like they, A, belong here at ReadMe, and B, are doing the best work of their careers. That's something that we talk about a lot. How are we enabling you to feel so comfortable that you can just take off? So a lot of it is around how do we talk about performance? How do we talk about growth? How do we talk about promotion paths and future states of your career and what's your North Star and it and how does that work with README's North Star mission and how are we all growing together? Because that's one of the reasons I love the startup space so much. It's all growth. There's so much there's so much growth. Sometimes it can feel really overwhelming. So everything is new, everything is usually we're doing it for the first time, but that's my role in a nutshell. I have a wonderful team that focuses on the talent acquisition actually hiring piece but I do a lot of the rest of it.
1: Amazing. And how was your kind of transition to Read Me? How long have you been there? And what did your other roles look like?
2: Yeah, this is, sorry, you've asked me that like a couple of times now. I will answer it this time.
1: Um, I (laughs) (laughs) started. It's okay, it's okay. We're getting, we're all getting our bearings.
2: So I've been at remy for almost a year now, which is the fastest year of my life. I cannot believe it, but I started in April of 2022. And before that, I was at another startup called Verifiable, where I got just the biggest crash course in compliance, like SOC 2 compliance, which I didn't know existed until I started that job, but ended up being knee deep in that, which was wonderful. And global HR, what does it look like to employ people around the world and not just in the United States. And it took remote work to a whole new level. Before that, I was at another startup called Trangual, which is also in the HR space. It's a documentation platform. It's one of my favorite tools. That's really where I dove into people operations for the first time. I had the most incredible mentor in the world. To this day, she's my mentor and one of my best friends who got me started in the space. And that truly was the first person on her team and just everything we did. We were doing for the first time, I was the 19th employee. And when I left, there was over 100 employees. So <laughs> wild times, absolutely wild, but at the center of all of it.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a lot bigger now too.
2: No, they're incredible and they do such great work and I am just cheering them on from the
1: sidelines. Yeah, I, I love um, what you were saying about the importance of that mentorship too, because I, I would want to bring that up probably later on in our conversation today. I'm really interested kind of as like an aside to the other topics that we have on the docket, but what does mentorship, look like especially in HR now that we are in a remote world you know because so much of that especially kind of early on or in the middle of your career it comes from that in-person interaction and spending all that time together so I'd be curious to hear how now that you're in a position of mentorship how do you approach that but we we don't have to get to that now it's just (laughs) something that that I thought of as you were saying that.
2: I will happily dive right into that if we want to go on that tangent, but if we have something else we want to talk about first, I'm happy to do that too.
0: You know, I think the main topic we want to talk about today, and it's something, you know, in our kind of relationship and conversations with you, Tori, kind of centers around this idea of the journey of the employee and like how important it is, you know, through the entire life cycle of the employee and that, you know, we always think about onboarding and getting started and training and kind of, you know, managing the employee through that life cycle. But a big part of that, you know, and the one that we often don't want to talk about or focus on is like the end of an employee's journey, which is just as important, you know, we think and we should think is just as important as kind of getting started, both how we deal with it internally and and how we set people up for success within the team and, and themselves. And so, you know, kind of diving right into it, I'd love to talk about that, like why getting offboarding right is so important. It's something that is is unfortunately very topical right now. Why is it so important? Why do you think companies like so often kind of downplay it or like let it slide or don't have a plan or a process in place when that is so important? If you can kind of share your thoughts on that with us, that'd be really helpful.
2: I would say offboarding is as important if not more important than onboarding because onboarding is exciting and there are so many positive emotions and it's starting a journey, but offboarding is scary. And even if it's you've chosen to leave and you're taking the next step in your career and it's exciting in its own way, it's scary. And having a fear-based situation like that, that's that's the reason people avoid it. That's the reason no one wants to talk about it because it's, it's a negative emotion Oftentimes, and I think you're never going to separate the fear from it. But there are things that you can do to alleviate the fear and to make it feel positive. And when I think of human centered offboarding, I think of how are we putting this person who I've gotten to work with, who I've gotten to know. I probably know a little about their families. I spend more time with them than I've spent with my family. They're still a person, and how am I putting them at the center and at the forefront also of of what we're doing and of this process and It's not something people plan for, because in my experience, it's a little different every time, and the situation is a little different, and the situation the company's in is a little different. So the question I ask going into it is, what is the best thing that I can do for this person who I care about so much whose journey is ending with us? What is what is the best thing that I can do for them? And whether that's just make it a really clean experience. Some people just need it to be a really professional and clean cut, and they need you not to bring your emotions into it. And just make it like, hey, okay, this is the end and let's talk logistics and let's ease you out. And there should be no catches on the logistics front. You should have that all buttoned up to a T so that that is not added to this somewhat traumatic event, which it oftentimes is in the in the experience of the employee who's leaving. And some people need and want to maintain a really strong relationship and that's what they need from you and they need to have some vulnerable conversations and they need to understand and they have questions and you have to be able to put on a little bit of both hats and be prepared to address the needs of the employee who's leaving or the employees if it's multiple employees who are leaving. Um, And that all starts with having just being as prepared as possible on the logistics side so that you don't have to think about any of that and all you're thinking about is what do they need from me and how am I giving it to them?
0: yeah I think like the expectation setting, and of course, like so much of it is listen, i've been I, I've been working at startups and tech companies my entire career, and I've been on every side of the equation, you know, quite candidly, like I've been laid off unexpectedly. I've had to lay off people unexpectedly. I've left myself voluntarily, I've been through it. There's never been one, like going back to your kind of early comment about being fear-driven and just like not, not an experience that anyone ever wants to deal with or go through, both on kind of the internal, the manager side or the HR side or the employee side. It's also never been the same for me, right? And I feel like there's been ups and downs of the experience which is like maybe i had a great experience with the manager that had to deal with it if i was being laid, laid off but then i had a terrible experience with hr and i think like setting those expectations and building more process around that internally because even the component of like training managers or training other employees of how to you know so so often we feel like it's something you can just for lack of a better term like dump on the hr team or the people team and not better trained managers or better set their expectations of how to deal with it and you know to your point of like human centered offboarding i feel like hu- the human aspect is is every component of the entire equation right it's like the internal team it's the manager of the team it's even peers like setting those expectations i think it's 360 degree thing and i don't think that unfortunately a lot of teams always think of it that way and i think more and more especially in a world where we're so distributed or remote or in person there's so many different situations like you hear these horror stories right of someone that like is coming into an office but then they're being laid off like by zoom right in like a a mass layoff situation or an individual one i've heard stories of people that are like invited to a conference room and they show up And there's like a laptop in the conference room and some remote HR employee meeting them to kind of lay them off. You know what I mean? So I think that that human centered part, I I love that term. And like, it might sound obvious to some people, but I think so often is this experience like cold and just process driven. And there's so many ways to do it that could be better, right? And so I think the more we talk about this and more like remove the stigma around it and make it something that we can be more confident about, like on all sides, I think that would be hopefully what we can achieve in like having this conversation and like creating the content we're creating about it and just openly talking about it a lot more. Just not to kind of drone on about it, but you know, I think you covered a lot of it in the human-centered piece, but if you could really define the terminology of human centered offboarding or, or being human centered at all like generally in people teams and hr teams like just quickly like how would you define that
2: i like to say that hr is for the business and people operations is for the employee so when i think of human centered anything human centered hr is in my opinion it's people operations it's the reason that this has taken a little bit of a shift and it's saying how can i protect the employee, too, because your instinct, and when I put on my HR hat, my instinct is to button up and tighten everything up and not give any information and, and let people feel the negativity of that experience, which is a one-way vulnerability. This is a very vulnerable situation for them. But if you're you know, a faceless HR person on a computer representing the business, you're taking out your humanity, which... Is is the whole point. The whole point is I'm a human and you're a human. And as part of my job and the biggest part of my job is making sure that whenever we do anything, whether it's offboarding, onboarding, whether it's just helping someone get a new computer, whatever it is, it's keeping the fact that whoever you're working with is a person as well. And and taking off your HR hat sometimes to say, this is scary for me and it's scary for the business, but that doesn't matter. What matters is, is you
0: just to play devil's advocate. I'm sorry, Veronica. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to interject one thing here. Cause I think people that are listening to this might, might think this a little bit, which is you can only set up expectation. Sure. It sounds great to be human centered and and you care about people. But at the end of the day, if someone's being laid off, there's going to be, this you know back to this sense of fear the sense of negativity and and also oftentimes that manifests in kind of like hostility and things like that and so how would you react to that of like no matter how much you want to be real you have a relationship with this person you're still dealing with a hard situation with them and there's going to be some level of hostility that comes from shock or the negativity around it, you know, so we often as humans, we just act on instinct, right? And that in, in, instinct is driven by emotion and fear. So in that situation, how would you continue to kind of push through that that concept of being like human centered and and just for someone that's kind of, you know, to play devil's advocate, someone that's saying like, that's just not going to work There's still HR telling someone that they're getting laid off.
2: A couple of things. I would say human-centered doesn't mean perfect, nor does it mean sunshine and daisies and rainbows. It means that we have done the best that we possibly could to take care of you. And in a situation, and I am I am not a perfect person, and I am definitely not a perfect person when it comes to my, my job. And there have been times where I've done this poorly, and it has resulted in more hostility. And for me, what I have to do, keeping the person who is maybe even being like incredibly insulting or rude or personally, they know, you know, they know me personally as well, keeping the fact that this is not about me. It's not about me. And that's when I put on more of my professional hat and I say, okay, what you need from me is not my feelings. What you need from me is listening to your feelings and doing the best that I can to ease them. And that doesn't mean that I always can, but it means that I have done my absolute all to try. And if if you take that before offboarding even happens, if you say every experience they have when they come to me, when they come to their manager, who I hope is also in the room when they're uh, hearing this news for the first time, especially if it's involunt- involuntary that they're leaving, what, what I would say is they know me and they know that with everything that I've done before now, it has truly been for their best and we've built a level of trust. So it's not just that day. It's everything that happens before that. And it's why... Their whole life cycle is so important when you take into account how it ends, like how their journey with your company ends. And again, that doesn't mean it's going to be happy and that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. I've had things where it did go really well and it was mutually beneficial. And almost always they ended up going onto a role that was so much of a better fit for them, for them personally, for them professionally. And I got to see them bounce back from that, but they may still hold that hostility for me because I was a part of a really hard time in their journey. I would hope that that's not the norm, but it's okay if that is how it has to be sometimes.
1: I think what it comes down to is honestly partly a cultural issue because we're taught that we should not bring our emotions into work and that shouldn't be a part of what happens there. But it's natural that people are going to bring their emotions into work because you're spending most of your time doing it and you're spending a lot of time with the same people. And in reality, that's the same as like, you know, any human relationship. Sometimes there will be conflict. And so when you have a layoff or some kind of offboarding situation in reality is a very emotional situation. You know, this person is going to validly have a lot of concerns about what their future is going to look like. And it results in this strange, like, paradox where you're in a very emotional situation, but you have to manage the kind of cultural expectations around how you're supposed to act in the workplace. So I'm really glad that you and many other people are working to kind of humanize offboarding because it's something that I think has been brushed under the rug and is really just kind of a manifestation of how we're taught to not show our emotions at work ever and have that just like not be a part of the thing that we're spending most of our time doing. But kind of on that, I've been thinking a lot about how these mass offboardings that we've unfortunately been seeing recently have worked the side of the employer, obviously. We spend most of our time empathizing with the employees as we should. But I've thought also, what does that kind of day-to-day look like for the HR people? And I see you shaking your head. And the people ops people who are having to lay off hundreds of people at once, but then also coordinate all of their severance and their health insurance and equipment retrievals and like everything that goes along with that. Do you have any thoughts on how you've seen that look in the last couple of months? And also just in terms of advice, how would you advise an HR team to prepare themselves emotionally for conducting a layoff like this?
2: I don't know if there's any good way to prepare for that. I think it's also, I try to go into it like genuinely saying this is not about me, but with that comes, HR feels like a little bit of an island, right? When you're, when you're, in people operations and your NHR, and you know everything that you know. There's no one at the at the company for the most part. Maybe one person that you can go to and talk to about it. And for me, what I need when I'm processing just this vast number of emotions and stress and anxiety, I need to talk to someone about it. So what I do, it's usually my boss or CEO who I go to and just have conversations and we've had conversations to each other about how difficult it was for us and processing the emotions real time and processing them before we talk to anyone so that when we do talk to someone else especially the person who's being affected by the layoff or the termination or whatever it is whatever that conversation is you're not bringing your own emotions to it because it feels like you're making it about you and it's hard for you it's so so hard but they need it to just be about them. So finding someone that you can talk to and going back to mentorship, I've had a lot of conversations with my mentor, Sasha, about how I've almost left people operations. So like, I can't do this. I can't be a part of someone's worst memory, worst day, scariest time of their life. How do I bring together the fact that I care so much and that I love what I do with this part that is heartbreaking every single time. And it's so hard every single time. And she said, well, if you're not doing it, who is? Like, who's staying to do this? And it has to be the people, I would hope that it's the people who care the most. And so dealing with the burnout that comes from that, especially if it's an extended period of time for stress for the company where you're maybe aware of it for longer than than the rest of the company and you're processing it for longer. And to be completely candid, in layoffs, a lot of the time HR is one of the functions that's cut first. So also you're dealing with your own feelings of like my job isn't secure. What happens when they, you know, I've done all of this. Am I in the next round or, it, you know, is am I safe? And you're you're feeling all the emotions as well. So there's no good way to do it and there's no easy way to do it. But I have found for me personally that talking to people about it and hearing just a little validation of my own experience and my own feelings helps me go into that conversation and do the best that I can for the person that I'm talking to.
1: Yeah, because I think unfortunately HR ends up being kind of vilified, you know, in situations like that. We see a lot of really angry people talking about how their recent layoff made them feel. um, And, you know, not to put everything back on the side of the employer, but, you know, we kind of forget how there's people that are having to conduct that and all of the anxiety that comes with it. Do you think that this kind of new Culture and trend of mass layoffs. How do you think it's impacting the kind of new generation of people who are just starting their careers in HR? Have you seen kind of negative attrition because it's starting to look to them like this is what their job is going to be for the kind of foreseeable future?
2: More so than that, I've seen people who can't enter HR because it's suddenly a field that no one is really hiring for and it's not an available position at a lot of companies. I would say the most attrition that I see is from people who have done this for so long and they just, they can't take it one more time. It's the burnout and the emotional burnout from the people who've been here for a long time. And they're saying, they're saying like, I can't, I need to be in a less involved role that's going to take less from me
0: on that like have you seen and when i see say seen just in general at companies you might have observed or or, or people that you know in hr like i know we're in a time where hr teams potentially are the, prioritized or the first to kind of get cut or reduce. but are there people thinking about this like thinking about the mental health of these teams implementing policies you know chief people officers or teams bringing in new policies that are thinking about the emo- emotional and mental health of these teams like in the day-to-day and helping people avoid that burnout or having you know learning programs or training programs or whatever it might be like are, are is anyone I'm not saying we need to name names or anything but have you observed that are people doing that well and again knowing that this is probably, unfortunately, an area that gets cut right now in the world we're living in. But like, let's face it, long term, we need to support these teams in that way. And we've seen over the past few years, just mental health in work and in work culture has become, thank God, so much more less taboo, right, and openly accessible and seeing more services provided. But yeah, have you seen that? Like, are people thinking about that and doing that well, supporting the emotional and mental health of these teams?
2: I think a precious few are that is something that oftentimes feels like a luxury and when you're when you're struggling to keep your head above water it's not necessarily let's get innovative and like let's try even more things it's I am making it, and that's all I've got today. But when when we did see that was, I think, before all of this, when the signs started coming of, okay, the economy is turning a little bit, and something might be happening, I don't know. And that's when we really, I think that's when we saw the most companies saying, like, how can we bring psychological safety to our teams? And how can we bring candor and transparency to our teams? Because a lot of a lot of the burden is not having information. It's saying something might be coming and I have no idea whether it's a layoff, whether it's just a performance-based termination or anywhere in between. Not having information is terrifying. So alleviating the burden of things like that is the most that I've seen a lot of people do. And then I think we'll see a generation of people re-entering or entering the workforce for the first time with an extreme lack of psychological safety where we'll then have to say, okay, these are people who've been affected by layoffs. All they're seeing in the news, all they're seeing on LinkedIn are layoffs. They're coming in scared. What do we do from the start of their journey now that our time of absolute panic and terror is over and we're hiring again and we're growing again and we're bouncing back? So I think you see it a little bit at the beginning and you see a little bit at the end, in the middle, I just think that most people are doing the best they can.
0: <laughs> yeah, just hanging on. Well, I mean, definitely don't want this conversation to be all come off as all doom and gloom. But that said, it is interesting how, and, and I've said this for a while, like during COVID, just over the past few years, like. It's so interesting to me how like LinkedIn has become, has cemented itself as like an actual like social network in the sense of becoming like a daily, you know, a few years ago, I wasn't checking LinkedIn daily, but LinkedIn has become this feed of content and sharing stories and building personal brands and, and building, you know, company brands. And so more and more people are being more candid and more transparent on LinkedIn about, going through a layoff or CEOs preparing statements and saying hey we just had to lay off 17% of our team here's why or people coming to vent people coming to look for new jobs looking for advice etc. and so i was originally kind of ask you go, going to ask you like what are people doing wrong when they're doing these layoffs and offboarding i think we've seen enough of that i think my question is like now that we've seen all of that what are the things that what are the things that we can do that are right during that kind of planning and and the execution of that offboarding and ultimately like post offboarding, what should people be thinking about, you know, the employees themselves, if you have any advice there, and what are the things that teams, so I guess the question is like, what are the things that teams should be doing and thinking about with offboarding today? And it doesn't need to be a mass layoff. It could just be in general, you know, the offboarding process. And then I think the second part of the question is like, if you personally have any advice for employees, like how to process that afterwards and what they should do, um, you know, any kind of personal opinion or or thoughts you have on that would be awesome.
2: Yeah. On the company side, I think there are things that you can do, Before you have the conversation, like I said, knowledge is your main asset that you can share. And it's the scariest asset to share. It's the scariest thing to go in front of the company and say, we're struggling financially. We've stopped growing and go through all that, especially if that's not already a part of your culture. But if that's something that's on the horizon, making that a part of your conversations and making the team aware so they can start processing ahead of time, because the worst, just the worst thing you can do for your employees is let this be a surprise whether it's a layoff or whether it's an involuntary termination for whatever reason most of the time it's a performance related reason or something like that so start having transparent conversations, even though they're scary and they don't feel good for you. It's not like, I keep saying this, but it's just, it needs to not be about you. It needs to be about the people who are on your team, who have dedicated their lives to, and their professional journeys to helping you and growing your company. And this is like something that I genuinely believe you owe to them. So on that side, having those transparent conversations and letting people know if something might be coming so that they can start thinking about ahead of time. And then if it does happen, offering resources. Hey, this wasn't the right fit for you, but if there's anyone in my network who's hiring, I would be happy to give you a recommendation if you can do something like that. If you can't, if for whatever reason you can't, hey, you're about to re-enter the workforce. A resume coach is not a huge expense if there's no one on your team who can do it, but it's something that will make a really big difference in the lives of someone who's re-entering the workforce. So offering whatever resources that you can, saying like, okay, this is more than I wanted to invest, maybe financially, but I think we can do it if we make a cut here, if we do something like that, or if you can't have someone internally on your team do it, and then... The job boards, making sure they're aware of what job boards are available, especially in their areas of interest. Like there are some for environmental tech companies that are saving the world and be aware yourself and be a resource to them. And on the employee side, I, I have been a part of a layoff as well. I have been just on the other receiving end of this genuinely terrible situation. And I think the best thing that I can say, or the best thing for me was to take time to process and then move forward, put together a plan, put together a board, start networking with people, start talking to people again, even if you haven't reached out in a while and it's someone you haven't necessarily talked to recently. I have gotten, let's see, my first job actually in people operations at Trainual came from someone in my network who I worked with previously, who I reconnected with, and I was laid off right before that job. And it ended up being the turning point in my career and the reason I have this job to begin with. So it's so, so hard, but try not to look at it like the end. After you've processed, let it be the end for a while, then just move forward. And it's so hard to do, and I know i I can say that, and it was not that easy for me to do it either, but you have to just move forward and put yourself back out there again.
0: One thing I will say I mentioned LinkedIn earlier is like it has been incredible to see the outpouring of like support for people. and like as soon as I see layoffs happening, I feel like I'm also seeing on the on the flip side hey, we're hiring right now, mm-hmm. you know, or, hey, I've been through this before. Let me share services with you. There's a lot of new services and and companies that are have been born out of like supporting this and helping people on their job search. And so I think that that's, that's amazing to see that. And I agree with you in the sense of like, it's not one size fits all like everyone should do what's right with them but like being in the for them but being in this situation definitely taking that like i think people shouldn't always feel pressure that you know you in the first 24 hours you're kind of in like a frenzy and you're like let me start thinking about this and like oh my god i have to revisit my resume but i think kind of decompressing for a little bit and trying to kind of collect yourself and think about really what is next, what is right and spending that time processing. It's like, you know, grief for a job. And it's like, you have to give yourself a little bit of time to to process and grieve instead of just, and I think the first instinct is to just kind of move on to the next thing and like bottle it up. But I think it's so much better to try to do that. And then yes, the other piece of like just networking, like I found just having, I think so many people are also a little bit worried about like, how do I share this with my network? maybe it's embarrassing, maybe it's this, that, or the other thing. I haven't been at this company that long, but I think reaching out, you'll be surprised at like how helpful and how great it is to kind of network and start to reach out to people and people very like clearly start to support you and and offer jobs and things like that. So that's like the the positive side of this. Like I've seen so much of that and I think that's so great.
1: Yeah. So many beautiful humans.
0: (laughs) Yes, definitely.
1: The one like very small silver lining, if there is one at all to be found from all the layoffs that are happening, is like Ben was saying, I think it's helping layoffs to be seen as less taboo because people are announcing it on LinkedIn and talking about it and just normalizing it. I think before people were a lot more apprehensive about sharing that they'd been laid off. Um, like Ben said, they viewed it as embarrassing or they just didn't want to talk about it. And I think now that people are saying that, like, even Google did layoffs, you know, places where mm-hmm. extremely smart and capable people work, they're realizing that it it really isn't about you. It's not because you were wrong. More often than not, it's because the company did something wrong.
2: Yeah, usually overhired. Usually that's what happens. They overhire during a period of growth without thinking what happens when this growth stops. You never want to think about when it stops. Like, no, we're on a rocket ship to the moon. It's never ending, but it probably will. And you have to make really careful decisions for your hiring plan when things are going really well too, so that hopefully you don't end up in this situation. It's not
0: always yeah, avoidable, I, but... I, I think that's a great point is like, you know, on the on the company side as well. And, and, and listen, like I've been very, not to be controversial, but I've been very like open about this, that too many people have had to do this because of things like that. And then you see situations where companies are laying people off and literally hours later announcing like record profits and things like that. So the normalization on the company side is also a little scary and gross but then you do have people that step forward and admit those things I saw I was reading recently that the his name is escaping me but the CEO of Zoom at least in his messaging admitted and said we grew so rapidly during Covid, everyone was getting on Zoom that, yes, we overhired. Yes, we were irrational in how we expanded teams and things like that. And that has a a bad impact for people over time and 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 we're sorry that we have to do this. And just saying we're sorry, like that made a big impact, I think, whereas you see some other companies where it almost seemed like irrational or, you know, to talk about not being human centered, like almost like a algorithm was run to just like randomly pick and choose who was being laid off. And people are waking up in the morning and getting emails, you know, or being disconnected from their services. So it's a crazy time. But I think normalization, to your point, like Veronica goes both ways. Like, I think it's great that people are more open to talking about it, more open to seeking support and more people are coming out and giving that support. But also, I don't want it to be too normalized on the company side where it's like, oh, this is normal. Everyone's doing this. So, you know, I do think that there's a lot of behind closed door conversations going on just saying, like, generally, like, because of the state of the market you need to go and let let's do a 10 or 15% headcount, you know, reduction in headcount. And so to everyone out there that's listening to this and thinking about it. Yeah, but but I think that's a really good point and I'm 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 happy that we we kind of brought that up and um yeah, and I think I think we're now have at we're at a point where we've heard so many like horror stories that like I want to hear more about like how are we doing it right, you know, and how are people you know what are the success stories let's hear the let's hear the positive stories
2: how are people stepping up? who's stepping up yeah
0: exactly like exactly who's stepping up and you mentioned it earlier, but I feel like I know that you know especially in startups CEOs that have to go through this teams that have to go through this h r teams, it's a very lonely place to be. You know what I mean? And so going through this, the the processing those emotions and dealing with this, it's not, it's not easy for anyone. And I think, I think even a, you know, it's the last thing probably a founder or CEO wants to have to go through too, is to let good people go. And it's, it's a hard decision. It's a lonely, it's a very lonely decision. So I think like that coming out with more positivity and, and sharing stories of like how we're supporting people would be, would be really great. I really liked one of the one of the ones I'll call out is I, I think um, Jack, the CEO of Lattice, wrote wrote a really good letter about kind of the rationale of, of why they had to make this decision, how they did that and how they're going to support their teams moving forward and also how they're going to think about sustainable growth moving forward and really revisit their process and their decision making for building teams and hiring teams and growing teams. So I thought that was really great.
1: It's like a funny irony that I feel like it's the smaller companies that have been showing more empathy when they're the ones that numbers wise were letting fewer people go. I also saw a lot of people um, commending HubSpot for the way that they handled their layoffs and kind of all the comms that surrounded that and the way they really went out of their ways to make sure that employees or rather former employees felt supported on their journeys going forward. So I think the kind of lesson is that it's a really horrible situation, but there's still a right way to do it and to do it in a way that does right by both the employee and the employer. As
2: much as humanly possible. I would agree HubSpot was one that stuck out to me as well. And I think the interesting thing about HubSpot is they just, they were so well-prepared. They had so many resources to dedicate. And I think Oftentimes, that's not the case. But if you do, don't just say like, hey, we can save this money. Invest it back in the people who invested so much into you. And I think the people who are doing it really well, being smaller companies makes total sense to me. And why I want to stay at small companies is because you know everyone. You're not letting go 15% of the workforce who you don't know. You're letting go like five people who you know very intimately and have usually built something from the start with. And you have to feel it. like you there's no way to not feel it. There's no way to bring someone in who doesn't know them. It's you, and it's it's you and it's them. and it's the people who've been in the room so many times together having a conversation, maybe, you know, for the last time in in their journey with you at a company,
0: yeah, I'd love this to be th- this is just an idea that came, you know, a thought that came to mind, not an idea. It's not a new idea. But I'd love to see a shift towards, especially, in a world where we're more distributed, we're more remote. We're spending less on offices and things like that. Um, although you know, off in offices coming back, you know, um, more and more every month. But I'd love to see more investment in people, less investment in like perks and benefits and and this thinly veiled like culture that we're calling. I think like development of people, supportive people, and. It's no surprise to me really that HubSpot did this well, because I think it's always been clear that they're a company that really invests in their people. There are a lot of lifers at HubSpot and people that have had career growth and education because they really support those teams as much as possible versus companies that you hear about are like these fun places to work and have all these great perks and they do these cultural things. And then that's the same company that you later hear about, you know, brought 200 people on a Zoom call and cut their their laptops off and just you know, said goodbye to them. So I think investing in your people and not your perks moving forward is like a big big movement I'd like to see more of,
1: yeah. and I think especially in in the u s, where we unfortunately don't have the laws in place that European or other countries have where you would have to give the employee several months of severance, if you're saving, that money on the severance that you would have to give the US employee if they were in another country, why not use that budget on the kind of post layoff care that we've been talking about and actually giving them those resources rather than viewing it as an opportunity to you know, save as much on that person as you can.
2: Yeah, it's tough to do when you're in the financial position that you have to be letting people go to say, hey, we're gonna actually dedicate more resources to you at the end of your journey here. It's a tough decision to make, but I think there's an amount of integrity that I would hope to see, especially at the exact level. Like, for example, the time that I was laid off from a startup, it was because almost everyone was laid off. It was, I think, not done perfectly, not that there's a perfect way to do it. But the thing that really stuck out to me and that to this day, so much farther into my journey still sticks out to me, is that our CEO personally funded severance for every single person who was laid off the company couldn't afford it there just wasn't we weren't in a position to do that and he personally did it because he said it it was people it was all of us that he knew so well and he was like I'm not going to leave you in that position we can't afford it but I can and I don't think everyone's in that position but I do think there's even if the company can't afford it, there's ways that you can just do a little better to take care of people. You just have to get creative and not say, take the easy way out, I would guess.
1: Yeah, I worked at a startup where um, we were told in, I think, December or January that we had runway until the summertime. And at that time unless there was some kind of miracle, everyone was going to have to leave. Um, And I appreciated that we were given six months of notice, if not a little bit more to find new jobs and everybody had a new, new job by then. So nobody was really left high and dry. It was like the most ideal way to do it.
2: Yeah, and I can't imagine that was an easy conversation to have six months beforehand, but I think as someone on the receiving end, having that information made all the difference
0: you know, just to shift gears a little bit, I'm looking at, you know, how much time we're spending talking here, but I'm going to shift gears, you know, we talk a lot about here at where we talk a lot about the different ways of working and, you know, we focused a lot on the employee experience being remote in office hybrid. Can you tell us, you know, we ask everyone these questions around, you know, what is your favorite way to work? and maybe just share some thoughts on us of like where you see work culture going in the next one, five, 10 years. Just share, you know, share what your, your experiences a bit, you know, how you work, how you work with your, your team and, and where you'd like to see that go maybe.
2: Yeah. I work in Arizona. My company is based in San Francisco. So I work entirely remotely. It's Sort of my preference. It's not my preference if I don't get to talk to anyone that day. I can't go a day where I don't talk to anyone. And I know that sounds so small and trivial, but it makes a big difference to me. Even just having one quick slot conversation or exchanging Schitt's Creek gifts or something where (laughs) it brightens up my day and I've had human interaction. So I think what we've seen from the past few years is that there is so many ways to have human interaction without being in a room with other humans, but it's harder. And it's harder to have genuine conversations. And we've seen this a few times where still three years in, we're starting talking and someone else is starting talking at the same time because you can't see all of the cues that you can see when you're in person. So there are some things that are a little clunkier that will remain a little clunkier. I don't think this is going away. I think you're going to have companies who go back to a more traditional model where you're in the office because... It's so much harder to create connections if you're not in person together. And then you're going to have people who lean in the other way and say, we're actually going to make this even more flexible. If you want to leave the country, you can. If you want to work from Mexico for a few months, you can. But we're going to find times to be in person. I think what we've seen is that there's not a way to do it without coming together sometimes. So off-sites or just flying people into the office for a few days or something like that. But I think we'll... Likely see a kind of a split between those two.
0: Yeah. I, th- I mean, as uh, I could talk about this all day, but as someone that's worked remote, you know, for five years, I definitely agree that having that interaction. It doesn't need to be like jumping on a Zoom all the time. It can be a Slack, a text. I honestly like phone calls. I like just talking on the phone. I like going for a walk and some meetings I schedule like, yes, yeah, I have to be at my computer a lot because maybe we're sharing something or looking at something. But anytime I can do like a one-on-one or something and just get like moving and find that I'm not like sitting at my desk for six hours straight in my like cave back here, (laughs) that really helps. And then there's the things that are like great in person, you know what I mean? And it's nice to connect with people and it's great to whiteboard and it's great to be creative and, and be in person. But I think like, I, I don't know, I just don't see us. I, I've dealt with people on every end of the spectrum in terms of we need people to be in office. Like I work best in office. I wanna see people. I, I, I don't believe that people are being, you know and I, I don't think anyone has proven to me until someone proves to me with real hard data that people sitting at home working are really truly less productive and they haven't given them the right tools because i've seen that situation too right where it's like the remote people are sort of chastised for being remote but they've never been given the right tools meetings aren't set the right way uh people ignore time zone changes and things like that and it's like you can't (laughs) like show me the data once you set the team up for success right but that's great i really. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I think this conversation, like I said earlier, it was, it, it's a hard one to have, but I, I just want us to, and, and I don't think like normalize is the right word. We don't want to normalize offboarding, but we, we want to normalize having better, you know, process and relationships with teams and treating people the right way and just being, let's just be good people. <laughs> Right? Like, let's be good humans.
2: Let's do it. No, I think that is the crux of this conversation. And most of my conversations that I have with you two lovely people are just talking about why, why aren't more people acting like a human being and how do we get them to do that? And I want to normalize that conversation as much
0: as possible. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. This was awesome.
2: Thank you, Tori. Thank you. This was so fun.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. Work Everywhere is presented by Allware, the work enablement solution that provides everything you need to work from anywhere. Companies from startups to enterprises save on time and cost by trusting Allware with employee provisioning, procurement, logistics, and asset management. Learn more at allwear.co.